The Coram Deo Church Community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you're about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Our scripture this morning is Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. Selah. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth, sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations, God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God, he is highly exalted. The word of God for the people of God. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kevin Huddleston. I serve as the director of Gospel Communities here. Those are the smaller communities that we have at Cormdale that meet throughout the week. And it's an honor and a privilege to be here with you this morning. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, uh, I'm sorry for that. I'd love to meet you sometime soon, so come grab me after service. Uh, or maybe you're a first-time guest here um, or just visiting. I just want you to know I'm glad you're here. There's uh, also a few things I'd love you just to know about me before we get started this morning in Psalm 47. Uh, my first experience in this community was actually back in 2007 when I was a senior, or excuse me, a junior at UNO. Uh, I remember the first day very vividly because it was super awkward. Um, we used to meet at this little event space downtown called 1316 Jones Street, and it was really small. And to get into the space, the door was basically right at the front. And so if you can imagine the front door of the church is right there. It's pretty obvious if you're the new person walking in, don't know anybody. It's like first day of class, first day of school. You're like, whoa, everybody's just, who's this person? Um, he stood out like a sore thumb. But I remember that day very vividly, very vividly, not just because I was kind of awkward and uncomfortable the second I walked in, but because of the people. I remember the first uh, sermon I heard. It was about how the church is the people of God, not a place. Just kind of like what Mike was already telling us this morning. I remember the first conversation I had after church with a guy named James Chalmers. He and his wife, Victoria, were here in those early days, and they've since moved on to Canada to do other things. I remember my first gospel community experience. It was in March of 2007. A couple named Tyler and Lindsay invited me in to their living room, and week after week, we'd gather together. And so I realized that if you knew the last few years, this building feels like, wow, this is a, this is a big place. It's nice and polished. It's a great operation. But I want you to know, the church is not this building. The church is people. people, people like James, people like Tyler and Lindsay, people like you and me. And so I just want, again, I want you to know, this place has been super meaningful to me, and I'm glad you're here. It's been a wild, crazy, sanctifying 16-year journey. Also, I brought a picture of my wife and kids. Uh, my wife, Abby, and I have been married for, it'll be 10 years in October. Yeah, right? Decade counts for something sometimes. Uh, we've got four kids. Uh, Thomas is seven, Ingrid is six, Greta is four, and Ivy is one. And uh, we're also expecting identical twin boys in September. 
Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. We knew we had to even it out a little bit, you know? Get three and three. Otherwise, we're not complete. So if you uh, start to see me a little bit less in September, or if you start to feel like, wow, Kevin looks like he got hit by a bus, <laughs> you'll know why. <laughs> so pray for us. Pray for the Huddleston House. So that's our family. It's a little bit about me. Uh, there's also one other thing I'd love to share with you this morning. I had a really hard time in high school. And it's not for the reasons you think. It wasn't because of grades. It wasn't because of extracurricular activities. All that stuff was, was relatively fine. It was because I hated pep rallies. <laughs> hated them. I'm, by nature, for those of you who don't know me, a pretty cynical person, pretty skeptical person. And so anytime I can sense there's any kind of emotional manipulation going on, <laughs> I'm out. I'm backed up. I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to kind of scrutinize and kind of question. And so as you can imagine, pep rallies brought out the worst in me. Then when those chants would ring around the gym, let's get fired up. We are fired up. <laughs> I'm not fired up. <laughs> I'd just be hanging out in the back, arms crossed, just looking out there at all those sheep, <laughs> partaking in such a spectacle. So as you can imagine, I didn't exactly have a lot of friends in high school, um, unless they were equally as cynical as me. Then we had plenty to talk about. No, unfortunately for me, it wasn't just my experience of pep rallies that was affected by my cynicism. To this day, actually most aspects of my life, unfortunately, are affected by my cynicism. I mean, my relationships with other people, I've got a hard time trusting people. I tend to think the worst in people right away, I tend to kind of question their motives. My interactions with strangers, just day to day, walking down an aisle in the grocery store, driving down Levorn Street to go home, judging, condemning, questioning. It, this is even true of my, my view of institutions. Um, sadly, things like the church at times can be pretty cynical. Things like our government. Things like our culture. Are we going to make it? I have no idea. That's usually the first thing that comes to my mind. And so you see, what's true about me is also true about us. And that's that we all have a way of seeing. We each have a particular set of lenses through which we look at the world and at ourselves. And my way of seeing is shaded by cynicism. And so as much fun as, it, as fun as it is to talk about how much I hated pep rallies, the sad truth for me is that my way of seeing also affects my way of responding. Instead of some lighthearted fun at a pep rally, I'm standoffish, I'm judgmental, I'm disengaged, I'm overly critical. We have a way of seeing. But our culture also has a way of seeing. The air we breathe the airwaves, even, that we breathe often are laced with a bit of cynicism. There's a never-ending barrage of spin in the magazines, in the podcasts, in the articles we read, constantly conditioning us to see things a certain way that then causes us to respond a certain way. So cynicism, as a lens, oftentimes causes us to just respond, really, with quick, sarcastic takes Instead of being patient, instead of being slow, to listen, to ask questions. There's a speak first with a hot take 
and ask questions later kind of approach in our culture. Our way of seeing shapes how we respond. And that's why we need Psalm 47. We need to see God rightly in order to respond to him rightly. And Psalm 47 is here to reshape both our way of seeing God and how we respond to him. So that's the outline for this morning's sermon. I want us to consider first how Psalm 47 helps us to see God, and then second, how Psalm 47 teaches us to respond to God. So first, let's consider what Psalm 47 helps us to see. Go ahead and open your Bibles if you haven't already, and if you don't have one, there's one under your seat. We'd love for you to take that and actually just take it with you if you don't have one. Uh, The psalm is located on page 441, and we'll start in verse 2. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. A.W. Tozer said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So, when you think about God, what comes into your mind? How do you see him? Well, here's how the psalm sees him. The Lord is the most high. This is a combination of his personal name, Yahweh, as he revealed it to Moses on Mount Sinai, as well as this word, Elion. It's a word that foreign peoples would have recognized as a name for God. Yahweh, Elion. He's to be feared. In other words, we are to be in awe of him. We are to revere him. We are to look to him and give him our utmost devotion and respect. He's a great king over all the earth. He's not just God of his people. He's also God of all the nouns, all the peoples, all the places, all the things. This God cannot be contained in a church building, in your home, or in your heart. All things are subject to him because he is the one who created them all. And he subdued peoples under us, nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us. That us and our, those pronouns, those are God's people. The people subdued were the Canaanites that dwelled in the promised land. So keep in mind, Israel, it was a small group. It was a tribal nobody in the ancient Near East, and especially compared to the Egyptians, the Assyrians, and the like. They were just a speck. And so their story was kind of an underdog story. And so here, they call to mind the kind of God that would fight for them, they who were weak and vulnerable comparatively. And when they really grasped that truth, it caused just an overflow in their hearts, an overflow of worship to this God who would take them from being slaves in Egypt to inheriting this beautiful promised land with milk and honey, God's love and deliverance was real. Friends, this is our God. He is highly exalted. He's a great king who's in love with his people. And the psalm goes on. 
God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Jump to verse 7. For God is the king of all the earth. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather. And at the end it says, for the shields of the earth belong to God. That phrase, God has gone up. Take note of that. Commentators suggest that it's actually this allusion to a previous moment in Israel's history. It goes back to this part of the text of 2 Samuel 6.15, where the ark was brought up to the city of David to make that city God's abode or God's throne. This was at that time maybe the single most greatest moment of Israel's history next to the Exodus. God's presence represented in this ark, his dwelling place, was actually coming in finally to the city of Jerusalem, to the promised land, into the land that God had promised to Abraham, going all the way back to him. David, the Bible says, the king at the time, so overwhelmed with joy that it describes him as dancing to the Lord with all of his might, in his undergarments, nonetheless. And I I paraphrased a little bit, but you, you can get the picture, right? David is making a total fool of himself at this moment, and he could care less. Because God's promises to his people, going all the way back to Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, were finally being fulfilled. This, this was a moment to remember. You see, for God's people, it's always been important for us to remember. God often reminding his people, hey, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That phrase was this refrain that just kept getting repeated over and over through the Old Testament. This was God's way of helping his people relive and rehearse their story of redemption. Why? Because we forget We're forgetful people. We've got short memories. So writing down, remembering, and rehearsing moments in our story that remind us of redemption helps us to see God rightly. This psalm calls us to remember God's fulfillment of his promises. God has gone up to take his seat on his throne and to dwell with his people. But it's not just his people. Did you notice how the phrasing in the the psalm sounds? Clap your hands, verse 1. All peoples. The Lord is a great king over all the earth. For God is the king of all the earth. God reigns over the nations. The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham. This psalm envisions all all people of the earth coming to worship God as the good news about him goes out through his chosen people. Everybody can get in on God's mercy, not just some, but all people who come to him. Psalm 47 corrects our way of seeing. God is over all days. God is over all of life. God is over all nations, all neighborhoods, all peoples. He is glorious. He is supreme. He is the most highly exalted king ever. And don't you see, this king that is most high, that has chosen his people to bless the world, that is ruling and sovereign over all, 
He is not far off. He does not use and abuse his authority for evil. He is not favoring the strong or a certain people group or a certain nation, but rather he is near. He is humble. He is meek. His kingdom is for all that would come to him. In Jesus, the God that has gone up with a shout of victory into Jerusalem went up a hill himself, abused, condemned, shouted at rather than shouted for. His throne was not the ark or the temple, but a cross. And three days later, Jesus went up again. But instead of going up to his death, he rose up to life. His resurrection finally subduing Satan, sin, and death once and for all. And 40 days later, he went up again. This time to take his ultimate seat of authority and power in God's kingdom at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Under Jesus' kingship and rule, all things are subject to him. Jesus is the lamb that was slain who is welcoming all to come to him, who draws all people to himself, and who will come back to judge the living and the dead. And in Jesus, all peoples, all nations, everyone is welcome to come to him and become part of Abraham's covenant blessing. So, friends, this psalm invites us to see God rightly. That's point one. Point two, it also asks us to respond to him accordingly. Notice how the psalmist directs us to do certain things in response to God, to God, excuse me. Verse one, clap your hands, all peoples. We're not so good at that, are we, church? We're kind of here, kind of there, you know. Oh, okay, I wasn't expecting that. There we go. You're like, yep, I don't, I don't know how to do this, Kevin. I'm going to be honest with you. <clears throat> it says, shout to God with loud songs of joy. Sing praises to God. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises with a psalm. What kind of response does this psalm call for? It calls for a bodily response of celebration. We're supposed to celebrate God, friends. The psalm calls us to dance like idiots in the streets like David when the ark was going up. The psalm calls us to celebrate with free spirit, unhindered, the ascension of the Lord Jesus to the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Our God has gone up. The church father Augustine said it this way, the Christian should be an alleluia from head to foot. Listen to how Richard Foster talks about this in his book, The Celebration of Discipline. Celebration is at the heart of the way of Christ. He entered the world on a high note of jubilation. I bring you good news of great joy, cried the angel, which shall come to all the people, all the people. Notice that. He left the world bequeathing his joy to the disciples. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Celebration brings joy into life and joy makes us strong. Friends, celebration saves us from stuff like cynicism. Celebration 
gives us perspective. Celebration helps us to see ourselves rightly and not take ourselves so seriously because, thank God, I am the worst at that. I need celebration to free me. And celebration is infectious. It breeds more celebration. When we gather here on Sundays, we're bringing all kinds of things into this room. And so when we get to celebrate a God who is like this, who would go to the cross and rise from death for us, we celebrate. And actually, makes me want to celebrate more, being in this room with you every week. Singing, dancing, shouting, all these things are a response to God. But they're equally a practice. Sometimes they don't come naturally. So repentance from ways of seeing, like cynicism, looks like embracing celebration. It looks like showing up every week with your whole selves, ready to give yourself over to this thing we call worship to joy. Because for me to enjoy small things like pep rallies that are really insignificant, but are kind of, can be fun if you let them be, right? All the way to weighty, eternal things like this God, the most high, I've got to celebrate. I've got to get over myself. I've got to retrain my body to do the things this psalm calls me to do. Because what we do with our bodies matter. Genuine response to God looks like celebration. So let me ask you this morning, what keeps you from responding to God in these ways? What keeps you from, as Augustine put it, being an alleluia from head to foot? Regardless of what keeps you from responding to God, Psalm 47 gives you clear direction. Clap, shout, sing, and respond with joy to our God because he is worthy, he's kind, he's merciful, he's gracious, and he is king. And we know that when we look at Jesus, it helps us to see through cynicism and see that we actually have genuine hope. The very act of obeying of celebrating God sets us free from cynicism and self-concern and leads to an increase of joy and freedom and self-forgetfulness. Look, I'm not sure if you knew this or not, but our great state of Nebraska does not have any major professional sports teams, okay? I know this is not news to you, but I just wanted to remind you of this because our new pastor, Aaron, he's from Seattle, and he shows up every week with a different hat from a different team. And I was like, I didn't even know Seattle had that many sports teams. They've got a professional hockey team. Did you know this? I had no idea. Hockey in Seattle makes no sense. And look, I know that we've got the Huskers. It's great. It's great. Sometimes. Once in a while. We've got Memorial Stadium. It's great. It's great. I know. I keep saying this. I'm just like... I'm really sorry to be talking about this right now. There's hope. Hey, there's hope. There's hope. There's always hope when the fall starts. Um, but <clears throat> Memorial Stadium's great and all, but have you ever been to an NFL game? Anybody? A few? Okay, a few. I haven't, personally, but I've seen them on TV. <laughs> and I promise you, I've seen Husker football stadium days on TV, and I've seen NFL days on TV and the fans are a little bit different, am I right? Raiders fans? I mean, need I say more? 
Full-grown men leaving the house, half-clothed, body paint, stuff they bought at Nobby's or wherever there is in, well, Las Vegas now. Helmets, the things, and just making total fools of themselves on national television. Am I right? And dare I say, because they could care less. Because they love their team. They're giving themselves over to the game day experience, to the fan experience, and immersing themselves with self-forgetfulness, obvious self-forgetfulness, <laughs> and freedom, and joy, and they look pretty happy, right? Well, if it's true that God created us, then he put that desire, maybe not to be a Raiders fan, <laughs> but he put that desire in each of us to give ourselves over to something or some experience that is far greater than us. Friends, what would it look like for you and me to celebrate God like that? Maybe not like a Raiders fan. Body paint can wait on game day, right? But in all seriousness, to, to see today, to see tomorrow when you go to work, or school, or whatever it, is, whatever it is that God has you. Celebration of him looks like how it looks in Psalm 47. But that's not all. That's not the only response Psalm 47 calls for. What else? It's not as explicit, but consider the last few verses with me. God is the king of all the earth. God reigns. God sits on his holy throne. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Now, not only are we to celebrate, but we are to submit and surrender. Look again at verse 9. It says, The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. It says, the princes of the people, that's heirs to God, or excuse me, heirs to the kingdoms of the earth, the ones who are to inherit all things, they gather as God's people. The shields, the arms, the defenses of the earth, they belong to God. They are yielded. They have bowed the knee. In Jesus, this verse sees its ultimate fulfillment. Look, quick, look with me quickly at uh, Colossians chapter 2. I'll have it on the screen so you don't have to flip there, but Colossians 2 verse 15 says this. It says, on the cross, God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Jesus. A good comparison example of, of this very thing is D-Day. June 6, 1944. That day spelled the end of the Nazi reign. We knew at that moment their advance was stopped. D-Day would eventually lead to Victory Day, to liberation in Europe. But you know when that happened? Almost a year later. May of 1945. That's when final surrender came. But this time in between, everyone knew Evil had been stopped, and it was only a matter of time 
before final surrender and ultimate victory. Well, in God's reign, Jesus' death and resurrection, it was a type of D-Day, a decisive blow to sin and death and the spiritual forces of darkness. And the final day of victory is yet to come. When Jesus will return and he will usher in God's kingdom finally, once and for all, and make all things new. So let me ask you this morning, what would keep you from surrendering to this king? Hostilities are over, peace is here, and resisting only keeps you from enjoying his glorious reign now. And keep in mind, this king, Jesus, he's not on the other side of the battlefield sending out messengers, trying to demand some kind of surrender, not trying to manipulate or cajole, but he himself walked across the field of battle, took mortal wounds in the process so that he could come to you face to face and implore you to come to him. Psalm 47 invites you and me to surrender to this king. This king who has lived for us, this king who has died for us, this king who has risen from the grave for us, who has ascended to the throne on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and who welcomes us into his family. God is king. He is over all things, and Jesus has and is fulfilling God's purposes in the world to welcome all that would come to him, through which he will bless the entire world. Friends, we're invited this morning to see God rightly and to respond to him accordingly. So let's rejoice in and celebrate our king today. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you knowing that we are in desperate need to have our vision cleared. We spend our weeks and our days with a certain kind of view of you, and often we confess that view of you is shaded. It's shaded by things like cynicism or Um, our life experiences. And so whatever it is that has shaded our view of you, Lord, you know those things. You see those things. Pray that you would help us to become more aware of those things. Father, we thank you for Psalm 47, that we get to see you rightly this morning, high, lifted up, holy, other, supreme, highly exalted. But Father, we also get to see you sending your son Jesus to be your king, to be the one who ushers in your reign and your rule, and who does so by going to the cross, his throne, by taking care of our greatest enemies, Satan, sin, and death, and by going up, rising out of the grave, going up to ascend to his throne, seated at your right hand right now. So Father, I pray that for each one of us in this room, we would see where we need (laughs) you, where we need to learn how to celebrate, Help us to celebrate you and the glorious reign that you have given us. Help us to have a completely changed life this morning because of what Psalm 47 reveals to us. Father, give us a spirit of joy and celebration, of self-forgetfulness, of freedom that comes with the gospel. And would you help us to submit our lives to you? Help us to look across the battlefield and see the Lord Jesus coming to us, wounds and all, ready to welcome us into his family. 
So Father, we're so thankful for your word in this church community this morning. We pray these things in your beautiful name. Amen.